0: Welcome to Lips on Life. I'm your host, Jessica Lips, and in this interview series I'm talking to extraordinary people who are living their dreams. It's my hope that their stories will inspire you to live your own dreams. For those who have been following Lips on Life, you know that this is an audio show. While we're continuing with audio, I thought it'd be fun for you to actually see what the interviews look like. So we're adding video clips. You can check them out at lipsonlife.com or on YouTube. Now let's get started. It's my honor to welcome one of my favorite performers, LaChanze. LaChanze is perhaps best known for winning the Tony for Best Actress in a Musical for her role in The Color Purple, and also for her most recent work in the Broadway musical If Then. This is a really special interview for me. I love Broadway and can remember the first time I heard about LaChanze. She was just starting work on The Color Purple, and a friend of mine who knows her stuff told me to be on the lookout for this star. One day soon after, Oprah was previewing The Color Purple on her show and I watched because I wanted to see what my friend was talking about. Well, needless to say, LaShawns blew me away and I've been following her ever since. LaShawns, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Jessica. Having been a fan all these years, I'm excited to sit with you for the first time and actually get to know you. So let's start at the beginning. Where
1: were you born? I was born in the oldest city in America, St. Augustine, Florida.
0: I didn't know that was the oldest city in America. That's the oldest
1: city in America, yeah. I was born to teenage parents, and parents were very young. They actually lived across the street from each other. Hmm. And here I am. (laughs) Here Um, you are. (laughs) Yeah, my dad uh, was military, and uh, he was the United States Coast Guard. He actually retired as the first African American lieutenant commander in the history of the United States
0: Coast Guard. And my mom was a homemaker, so here I am. And... Where did you get this name LaShans? Where does it come from? What does it mean? It means one
1: who is charmed. Mm. And it is my grandmother's name. In my family, there's a tradition of a girl <laughs> being given the name, her middle name being the grandmother's name. But I just decided to use it as my name because I loved it so much more than my first name. And what is your first name? Rhonda. So my full legal name is Rhonda LaShans Sap. That's the name I, the, on my birth certificate. But when I first started out in this business, I started out as R period LaShawns SAP. And then I dropped the R, and then I just dropped the SAP. <laughs> I just thought, <laughs> you know what, I'm just gonna go out there and be LaShawns.
0: I love LaShawns. Is it an African name? Is It's it Creole. Name? It's Creole, It's okay. Creole,
1: yes, um, by way of Haiti. While we are African Americans, we don't have any Creole history or even Haitian history, but my grandmother were, lived in New Orleans for several years in, in her childhood, so my great grandparents named her LaChance because it was a familiar name of the time where they lived. It's become a family name. My my daughter has it as her middle name, my second born, and I have a cousin who has the name, and so it's it's a familiar family name now.
0: That's so nice. So you're this incredible performer, actress, singer, dancer, Did you always know that that's what you wanted to do? You know, Jessica, I started as a dancer, primarily, but I always sang.
1: I knew that I wanted to sing. I didn't pursue singing, though, until I left college and came to New York, and it was all on a fluke. I was cast in the ensemble as a dancer of a show called Uptown It's Hot. This was actually a summer job It was in Atlantic City at the Tropicana Hotel. It was fun. It was a summer job. I was the third girl from the left, tap dancing and dancing my way through my summer job. Ironically, and on a fluke, the show went to Broadway. It was very strange how it happened. That's how I got my equity card. But apparently it wasn't up to the standards of New York theater, and it closed in four days.
0: Four days. In four
1: days. It's insane. I know it. But getting back to how I started singing, I was in the ensemble, and we were in rehearsal one day, and the lead vocalist for this particular song that we were rehearsing was out, and I jumped up to entertain my fellow actors and dancers. I just sang the lead part, joking around and being dramatic about it, but I didn't know that the director was in the room. And the director at the time was Maurice Hines. And he heard me sing and he said, I didn't know you had a voice like that. He said, we're going to put a featured moment for you in the show. And from that point on, I just kept singing.
0: Oh, that's incredible. (laughs) That's incredible. But let me understand the history a little bit more to get there. So you said that you were a dancer growing up. Yes. Did you start dancing when you were a kid?
1: My mother, yes, she enrolled me in a dancing school in New Haven, Connecticut, because we moved from Florida to Connecticut. And When you were how old? When I was, let's say I started local dancing schools all over the up and down the East Coast when I was six. But I really started training when I was about 11, when we moved to Connecticut. Okay, and I was going full time all day, every day after school, weekends. Really learning the craft. And oh, that's um, serious. Oh yeah, my major in college was theater dance.
0: And where did so, you go to school?
1: University of the Arts in Philadelphia. U Arts.
0: U Arts.
1: Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> four
0: dance. You went four dance. I,
1: I studied theater dance. I wanted to be in the theater, and I wanted to dance. That's what my major was going to be. I didn't want to dance in, like, a company or anything. But because it was a theater dance major, I did study voice and I studied acting because it was a part of the my curriculum. Um, so I did have training in those areas, but I wanted to get out there and dance. But I secretly also wanted to sing and act. I just couldn't
0: pursue it that way with my degree. So And so it ended up happening just as it was meant to, but kind of by a fluke. It did. And
1: once I... St- I realized that I enjoyed singing almost more than dancing. I hired a, a personal coach, and I started working with him privately. His name was Mark Truitt. I owe him all the credit for my voice. Mark Truitt, he's he's now one of our angels, but he showed me the gold in my voice. That's what he used to say. He used to say, LaShawn, there's gold in your voice, and this is where it is, and we're going to pull it out of you. And I studied with him relentlessly for two years. And soon after that, I started uh, auditioning for Leeds.
0: So tell us about the transition. So you go from Atlantic City to Broadway. The show closes four days later. Yes. You must have been devastated. Oh, I
1: was completely devastated because I wasn't registered in school that semester because my show had gone to Broadway. So I basically moved off campus for a semester with the, with the, you know, support of my parents. I said, I just have to go and follow this dream. I did not register for the fall. And then there I was stuck in New York and no place to go, no place to live, no job. And I had to figure something out. Another one of my angels, I call her, Um, she's now passed on, wonderful, wonderful woman by the name of Virginia Peacock. She let me crash in her beautiful apartment until I got another job. And she said, LaShawns, here you go. You can have, you can crash here. And it was, I'll never forget, it was at 65th Street and um, 10th Avenue. Beautiful apartment. And I felt so lucky. There I was right behind Lincoln Center living in Manhattan. And I started auditioning. And within a month, I booked... The international tour of Dream Girls, so then I went on the road. And what was that experience like? That was it, that was amazing. We went everywhere: Japan, Rome. We went everywhere. went all over Europe, all over Asia, um, all over the country. Um, and I was the youngest in the company at the time because I should have still been in school, but I took this job and I went on the road. It was a learning experience for me because that company had been touring for a while when I joined the company so they had already formed their family you know and I felt like I was coming in this new person into this company and it was a little intimidating at first for me um but after a while I got my friendships and
0: was able to enjoy my my time on the road. How long were you on the road? Two years. Two years. Mm -hmm. And then when you got back, did you finish your college degree? Did you ever fit? No, okay. I
1: did not, but my school, it was such a great school, they've given me my honorary Mm. because of what I've done in the business. But I was almost done, so (laughs) let me just say. I was almost done anyway. I only had another year to go. The show came back as a Broadway revival. So once we were back on Broadway, um, that's when I really was. I, you know, I got my apartment, I was in New York and I was working and I, um, I understudied the two of the main leads. I understudied Dina and I understudied Michelle and the lead actresses, they were not in a lot. They were back in New York, so they had other obligations, other jobs that they were doing. So I ended up performing these lead roles quite often and um, then I started getting my own audience and people started coming to hear me. It was really fun.
0: So what what are some of the seminal things that happened in between the Dream Girl show mm-hmm. and The Color of Purple? You talked about starting to grow your audience. Yes, and, and my following. Well, then once I started getting
1: more attention as a lead actress, I started auditioning for leads. And one of the shows that I auditioned for that has become a cult favorite is Once on this Island. Mm. Once on this Island, I play T-Moon and I, um, that was when I was first nominated for a Tony Award for that role. But I auditioned for that out of the backstage. I didn't have, like, a manager or an agent or anything. I just went to an open call and ended up booking the lead role for that. And that pretty much was the show that sort of put me on the map as a leading actor and really just established me as a player in the Broadway lead actress community. And um, from then, I started just... Booking movies and other Broadway shows, and so many other things that happened in between. That Once in Asylum was one of the shows. Ragtime was another one of the shows where I played Sarah. Um, Company, the revival that Stephen Sondheim cast to me as Marcia, who sang Another Hundred People. Um, that was an amazing experience for me. Stephen Sondheim applauded for me over his head at the audition. I'll never forget that um let's see and then I did a bunch of tv and some film and then the color purple I went to an audition for it and booked it within a week
0: incredible and what was that experience like
1: that was interesting because um there are times in this business that you audition one will audition for a part or a part will come my way and I know that it's for me I just know that it's Sometimes it's just, it's just, it's, it's like knowing and inner knowing that this is the role that I would do justice to. So that was one of them. I knew when I first heard the music, I knew when I first read the scenes that they sent me, that this was a role that I would be perfect for if they decide not to cast me. Well, then it will be their loss because I feel like I am perfect for this part. And it just so happened that the director, Gary Griffith, felt the same way. So... um, It was a wonderful experience for me. The road to a Broadway show, a show getting to Broadway, it can be up to three years. It can take a very long time. There's the first reading of the actual material. Then there is potentially maybe a lab or a workshop or an out-of-town tryout or all of that. And then you finally get a date where you open on Broadway. That was the road with with,
0: um, The Color Purple. It was about two years before it actually got to Broadway. It's it's a lot of work in preparation. Yes, it is and time, um, and then the Broadway run was so unbelievably successful, and you were, again, nominated for a Tony, and this time you won. How did that feel? That was incredible. I
1: wasn't expecting to win, to be honest. I, I was in an incredibly talented category of women that I admire and respect and have for years. Cheetah Rivera, Patti Lapone, Kelly O'Hara, Sutton Foster, these were the women that were in the category with me, so I wasn't expecting to win. I was expecting to go to the party and dance.
0: Um, so when they called my name, I was pretty shocked. And how did it feel afterwards? Does winning a Tony change your life? And if yes, how? You know, it's interesting. I get that. I get asked that question quite often.
1: Winning a Tony does a couple things. Okay, first of all, I have a title. <laughs> Now I have a title. Right. And, um, you know, the entertainment industry is interesting because there are sort of unspoken lists. I've always been in this Broadway theater list of actors. That's, you know, someone who works hard, who has a certain amount of talent, and who will get on that stage and perform characters to a certain ability. But it's, it's a group, And it's a certain level. When you win a Tony, you get put in another group. And in that group, you're in the group with the Tony winners. Then there's another group, let's say the film actors or the TV actors. That's another group. Tony winners sometimes are put, you're in your Tony winning group, but then you're also put sort of at the bottom of the film actor group too. A whole new world, it's in a very challenging and interesting group to be in. So I was still trying to navigate both worlds. I had one foot in the circle that I know very well and a foot in this new circle. So that that's one of the number one um, experiences
0: that I had to reconcile is being in this new group. What happens when you're in the new circle? Do producers in the film and TV world start looking at you? You're invited to a different party. So now the party is just
1: a it, it, it's, it's a bigger party and a nicer party or maybe or just more more people at the party and you meet and 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 you begin to meet new producers and new directors and um have different opportunities presented because I sing and perform in the theater and on stage which is what I prefer I oftentimes in film and television and I have done it um, I always feel somewhat like a fish out of water whenever I'm behind the camera. I always wonder if I am um, doing it correctly or if it how it's being read. I, I just, I'm not as confident <laughs> behind the camera as I am on stage. And But I, ha- I have done great work. I was in The Help and got a SAG award for that. So I'm very excited about the work that I have done on film. I just... Um, I don't do it enough. I like to do it more so I can get rid of the nerves that I get when I get behind a camera, Um, but I'm very self-conscious. I don't even watch myself, to be honest. If something comes out, someone has to tell me how I did. I don't even watch it.
0: <laughs> well, it's so funny to me. What's what's the difference? What do you think makes you feel more comfortable on a Broadway stage or any theater stage versus what makes you feel uncomfortable or, or not quite as at ease in the film and TV world? For me, what makes it uncomfortable is um,
1: I'm used to a response to what I'm doing. I'm used to the audience. I'm used to to feeling an exchange. The great thing about being on stage is the audience has a, has an emotion. They're the third character. And you know if your audience is in a bad mood today or if they're in a happy mood or if they you know are bored. You you get the energy from the audience and I can work with that. That's something I'm used to doing. I love that exchange with the audience. And what I'm doing on stage. I love it. I I feed off of it. It's something I really enjoy. But on television, you don't have that. So it's hard for me to gauge if, if I am doing what the audience wants from me, if I'm giving them what they want. So oftentimes I have to just trust the character and trust the other actor that I'm working with and play the scene, which is fine and which is fun. And you know pretty much nine times out of 10 it's absolutely what they need cuz you have to trust the director but it's just a personal preference i like i need that immediate gratification of knowing if it's working and if it isn't how i can fix it
0: you know and the director doesn't tell you
1: well in television it's fast so i i know that it works if the director moves on
0: <laughs> right that's says, a good sign. Got it. Right. Next. <laughs>
1: okay. You know, but I oftentimes like to know was that what you needed? Did I could make it more you know, dramatic or intense or more specific, you know, oftentimes. And so, you have to get comfortable comfortable with the director just moving on and knowing that that was what it is and that's what I have to
0: do a better job at. Mm. Well, it's interesting because in the theater world, I'm sure that you get some of that feedback from the director during your rehearsal process yes. as you're spending all of these months and even years preparing to take a show oh, yes. to the stage. Um, and so along those lines, I'm kind of curious, how does your preparation process different differ when you are preparing for a show on stage versus preparing for your work in film and TV? Well,
1: for a show, it can, you can have seven weeks of rehearsal and... Seven weeks of rehearsal is fantastic. Sometimes it's too much, but you're working on scenes, and you're trying. You're making choices, and you're developing this character, and you really embody a character, and you you grow, and you deepen, and you have time to really get under this character's skin. In television, they give you a script, and you take it home, and you memorize your lines, and you have a a blocking rehearsal if you're fortunate you have a director who will say come in let's work on the scene prior to uh blocking it which is rare which is I've not had that experience but when you have that that's wonderful but you really just don't have the time to work with and the director and really get under the skin of the character and so you have to purely trust
0: your instincts and
1: trust what's happening on the camera that day. That's the difference.
0: And even in your own personal preparation process before, let's say in the theater world, before you even meet the director and meet the rest of your cast, you've been given the script and you've been given the score. Mm -hmm. Um, So how many weeks in advance of a show are you personally preparing with your own music director before other people even come in um, to the picture? And what's that process like?
1: Well, I oftentimes have given a script in theater primarily nowadays. You just because I'm at the point now where I'm not auditioning anymore. I just am offered roles. I can be Oh, that's nice. I was gonna ask you about <laughs>
0: that. I was gonna ask if the roles just come to you or if you still have to go through the audition process. So that's what the Tony list does for that's, you. That's right. What that's what okay. Does. So that's the party you're invited to. Okay. That's a different party. <laughs> okay.
1: So you don't you're not auditioning so much anymore. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. That's that, that must takes take a, a load off. It really does, because oh. I hate auditioning. Really? I do. Oh my god. It's Why? Not, is well, it are you
0: nervous? Or is it just no, a, a pain because it takes up time?
1: Well, no, it's not that. It's not that that I don't enjoy I I the actual moment of auditioning being in a room that's not the problem for me it's the after wondering if I got the job or not
0: oh that's the, the, agony, the, part, of, the agony of, of waiting. Wait. Oh,
1: that's okay. the part that I don't like so much. okay so, that makes sense <laughs> so now that I get now that I am fortunate enough oftentimes in theater offered a role um it's nice because they'll offer it to me months in advance sometimes, or it depends. It could be a month in advance. It could be weeks in advance. Uh, it depends on when they know what they're planning on doing. And sometimes it's just for a workshop. Sometimes I'm offered to do, like with If Then, um, I met with the director, and he told me about the, the role and asked me what I thought about it, and he asked me if I'd be interested in doing the reading of it. And I said, sure. So we did a table read, and it was great. And at that point, I didn't know if they wanted to continue with me or not, because sometimes they find that they want a different tone. So um, then he asked, would you be interested in doing the workshop of it? And I said, absolutely. And, and what made you say yes?
0: Well, How do you decide on a certain role?
1: There are two main things that I look for in a character. If there is a journey, if the if the character has a journey that changes her that changes the character in some way, that's very important to me. Because all of us have lives that that are not linear. You know, our lives are up and down and left and right and they take us all over the place and I just think that's what life is about. And when you are in an audience and you are looking at a piece of theater, you want to go on a journey. You don't just want to sit there and, you know, just smile and laugh. Sometimes you do, but for it to really be effective and resonate with our own individual humanity, you want to go on a ride, whether you know it or not. That's what you enjoy the most about seeing. That's what's good to you. When you leave a, a show and you say, Oh, that was good. It was because it took you on a on a ride. So I look for characters that have a journey, that really have a beginning, middle, and end, and discover something about themselves, and has and we have a um a change. Something is changed in them. I think that's important. They have a growth, a breakout moment, so to
0: speak. So I look for characters like that. And Kate and if Then had that. And and um, do you look, by the way, do you look for that in both? the TV and the film world and also the theater world? Or is that just what you look for in the theater world and you look for something different in film and TV?
1: And um, you know, I would love to have characters that are offered to me in film and TV that have that depth. And and I think it, that that I look for that in film and TV, but unfortunately because some of the characters in television that I've played are Supporting another character, so there, the, so the journeys of that of my individual character isn't developed as much. Mm-hmm. In theater, we have the time, we have the resources. It's it's stage. We have time to develop a character. Particularly if there's a workshop process, if, the, if there's a workshop process, I can have I have input. I can talk to the writer. I can talk to the director. I can talk to the producer about the character, and I could say I feel that this character. Now that I've lived with her for two months, I feel that she may want to um, express herself in this way, yeah. in, in, a, in a particular moment or a situation. So that, that's a luxury that we have in theater.
0: And have you done that? Have you had those conversations?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. With The Color Purple, for instance. Um, it's so interesting. I was talking with the director, Gary Griffin, of the original production, not the revival. And um, we were we were reminiscing on how I'm Here was written. And um, basically, I was in the uh, studio with the three composers and Gary, and we were talking about that moment in the show. And they were asking me, LaShance, what would you want to say in this moment? And I said, and I'm paraphrasing, I wanna see flowers, I wanna push my shoulders back, I wanna lift my head up, I want to you know, breathe, I wanna sing, I wanna feel positive. And these were actual lyrics that were written in the, in the song and because we built that song together. And while I don't take credit because I'm not the author, I'm not the composer, I don't take credit for writing it, I do remember having a lot of input to that song. And how it was developed and created, even the um, orchestrations of it, even the, the the composition of the music, what I wanted, what I wanted to feel, what I wanted to see, what I wanted to communicate, and so the composers and the writer went back and wrote the song based on what I felt the
0: character needed to say at that moment. That must be such a powerful experience for you to be able to impact. A song which in turn impacts the show in that way and to know that you were a part of that process with the first time ever that the show was seen on broadway that that just it must do something for you it gave me chills um and to know that every single time that that song is performed whoever is singing it it's in part because of the role that that you played with that to influence something from so early on that's really beautiful.
1: It's it's wonderful to have the luxury of doing it, I have to say, and for the author, the composer and the author to trust me and trust what I'm saying and to create this piece based on what I felt my character would want to say. It's, um, it's, it's satisfying more than anything. Mm. I feel very satisfied to have participated
0: that way. Mm. And actually, speaking of The Color Purple, um, it's back on Broadway. How do yeah. you feel about that? Have you seen it? Is it weird for you to see it? Like, do you? I ha- did see it. Yeah, and well, it was weird. I have to say,
1: only because it was so different. You know, the production that we did originally was bigger. We had a larger cast. We had a more detailed set. Uh, it was a more literal production. Uh, more, it was truer to the book than I think. The current production is the current production is um, sort of very stripped down, sort of sketchy version of the production that we did. The characters, um, while Seely goes from fourteen years old to like sixty, you know, in our production we were literal about the arc of the growth of the characters. The current production the characters sort of stay in this same sort of age range basically because it's a a comment on the characters as opposed to being very little about it. So that threw me off initially because I was expecting to see this this broad sort of um, detailed journey similar to what we had. But once I got over that, (laughs) I sat back and really enjoyed it. It was emotional for me. Um, the, character, the the actors that were playing the roles were just so fantastic. It's a new generation of actors, so this was 10 years ago, which I don't, honestly, I don't feel like that's that long ago. You know, like when you do a Broadway revival, a lot of times, you know, there's a significant amount of time between it. So I kind of felt like, whoa, it's too soon for a revival. We just closed in 07, it's weird to bring it back to Broadway so soon, but it won Best Revival. So I'm happy for the producer that um, the show is back and that it has a new life and it has this resurgence and the actors are fantastic. The performances are incredible. So I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I had to get over the, the
0: direction or design of it first. It took me some time to get used to that. And did you have any feeling, either before you went to see it, or while you were watching it, or afterwards, that you wish you were back up on that stage? Has that time um, kind of passed for you, or do you still wish that you were doing the show? No, that time is completely passed for me.
1: I am so beyond it. I it was it was a very emotional journey for me. Celie's life to embody that every night, it was it was very challenging and heavy and. Um, I also was raising two daughters, and I felt like I was away from them a lot. I just needed to, when when it came time for my contract to end, I was ready to move on to the next thing.
0: So it was good. It was perfect timing. So speaking of the next thing, I was researching you and and viewing your website, and I found this great quote that you have posted by A.R. Bernard, and it says, if you don't have a vision for your future, your future is threatened to be a repeat of the past. So what's next for your future? Well, I am currently
1: working on my own show. I have a concert that I have been touring throughout the country. And I've seen
0: it, it's great. <laughs> Everyone
1: go, go. But I'm in the process of right now, I'm process of reworking it because I am currently working on my memoir. You are? Yes. I'm tell us, tell us memoir. about that. That is, woo, that is challenging. Why? <laughs> a lot of people don't know, but I've had a very um, tumultuous life. It's up and down, up and down, up and down all the way. I think my life can be inspiring to not only women but men just in general about how to overcome challenges and move forward and continue to stay centered and focused on what's for you in this life so that, the, just like my pastor said, that's actually my pastor. Oh, my I
0: was wondering who that was. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> He's a smart man. Yes, he is.
1: <laughs> yes, he's the pastor of my church. And in addition to being this this phenomenal Christian leader for me he's also one of the most intelligent speakers and inspirational motivational speakers I've ever I've ever met and so I Where I've,
0: do you go? Where do you go to church?
1: Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn.
0: In Brooklyn. Okay. Yes,
1: it's a wonderful church. I love it very much. It's an interdenominational church. It's not focused on one denomination. It's welcome to anyone who uh, wants to come out and visit. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful church, and I love my pastor and my congregation. So um, I always, I often follow his tweets and read everything that he posts. And and um, like he says, if you do not go forward, you are destined to repeat your past. And so, in writing my memoir, it's a part of helping me move forward, and also. I want to inspire those who do struggle with painful times in their past or um, challenging childhoods and are coming from, you know, situations that may be less than um, desirable and still making something
0: out of your life. Tell us what's been so tough so that we can go on the journey with you to how you handle that. Well, um, I'll just give you some broad strokes. I was
1: I was raised in a family, um, and we were not by any means wealthy. We were actually very poor, and um, my parents divorced when I was very young.
0: Is that what took you to the Northeast? Is that what yes. brought you from Florida to Connecticut? Okay. Yes,
1: my parents divorced when I was very young, and there was abuse in my home. Yes.
0: Physical, yes. sexual, yes. both. Oh my and, god.
1: And um, with with you? Well, oh god, I can't believe I'm talking about this. There was, there was, yes, uh, a, a family member that was physically abusive as well as sexually abusive, and I was a child. So I want to write about that, and I want to write about getting through that, and I want to write about um, surviving that and moving forward and still pursuing my dreams and having the support of the community, the actual community, and being, um, and still having a vision. And, and one of the reasons why I've been able to survive and be as resilient as I am is because of my faith. I've always felt, even as a little girl, that there was always someone with me that cared and that was always there. You know, um As a woman, I know, understand now that it was the presence of God in my life. But as a child, I felt like it was my special, invisible friend, that no matter what was happening in my life to me, around me, which was unstable, I still had this special friend with me, and we would always be okay together. And so as a woman, now I know it's my faith. I know that, and I know going forward, Yeah, throughout my teens, my 20s, my 30s, and my 40s, it's all, the Spirit has always been there with me, guiding me, leading me. And I've always trusted the faith, the Spirit of God to lead me and guide me, and I've always relied on that through everything. So that's really what I want to talk about, and this is actually my first time ever saying it out loud in public. And um,
0: Thank you for sharing. It's not well, easy.
1: Well, it's something that I'm writing about, so I'm going to have to talk about that eventually. And I decided to do that because I was a very young girl. And um, it happened for five years in my childhood. Yeah, so.
0: And did, um, did your family know about it? Did no. Anyone know? No one knew? No one knew.
1: I didn't tell anyone until I was in my 20s. And then by that time, I had started, you know, develop. I had started to, it had started to weigh on me a little bit too much. It had started to be something I couldn't keep down anymore. And I needed to talk about it.
0: And once you started talking about it, did anyone else come out in your family and say that they too no. had been a, ab- do you have any sisters or brothers? I do. do you have any si- I do, but no one else. I was the oldest. So you came out in your twenties and, yes. and you told people and in- were they surprised? Were they supportive? Were they, were, well, they shocked?
1: They were in denial, honestly. Um, they didn't believe me. They really didn't believe me. And that was one of the hardest things for me um, because it happened. It was real. But no one believed me. So they thought that I, the people that were close to me that I told in my family, they thought that I... Was trying to get attention in some way because I was not. I wasn't. I wasn't warm to the perpetrator. I just hadn't. They they thought that I was angry and being um, sort of a, a bratty, selfish person because they didn't know what, what had happened between me and that person. So I said it because I wanted them to get off my back about it. And then um, finally, once I said it, they didn't believe me. They thought I was just making it up. And so then they, um, unfortunately, it took about three years later before people started putting the pieces together of my childhood and situations and circumstances. They started putting them together. And they then... Realized they that oh my God this did happen because of evidence there was evidence in my childhood after they put the pieces together so I'm gonna write about that and it's not what the book is all about though I'm gonna write about surviving that I'm gonna write about because there's so many young girls who suffer that suffer through that and don't come out on the other side and win Tony Awards and and have beautiful children and you know so I want to write about that I'm gonna write about You know, my husband, 9-11, I'm going to write about that. I'm going to write about um, the successes. I'm going to write about so many great things because I think that, you know, I'm halfway through my life, I think, and um, I think it's a good time to reflect and move forward and inspire those for the second half. So.
0: Amen. That's beautiful. I look forward to reading it. I'm sure we all do. You have such a sense of positivity, given all that you've been through. And so it's amazing to hear that it's really been your faith um, that has carried you. And did you grow up in a religious household? No, we were not religious.
1: And that's the other thing. It wasn't a religious family. And I'm not religious today. I'm just faithful. I have a lot of faith. I don't protest to preach to anyone i don't think that this is the only way that you can have faith or the only faith that you can trust i think that you can have faith in in your in our supreme being in our mind just i just happened to choose christianity for me but i did not grow up in a religious household in fact my parents my mother we were one year we were Baptists, the next year we were jehovah's witnesses the next year we went back to being back we were sort of like hopping all over the place um But no, it wasn't a religious household. It's just, like I said, it was my special friend.
0: I'm glad that you had your special friend all those years and that it's now become your faith and that you're now gonna share it. I look forward to reading the book. Yes. Um, So you have been so successful over the years. What advice do you have for young performers looking to make it in the same way that you did, people that are looking to get either into the theater world or into the film and TV world? What do you wanna share with us today? I think the number one thing
1: that I always tell Um, anyone that I talk to, and any, any person that asks me this, is that you have to find out that one thing that's unique about yourself, and blow it up. I mean, no matter what it is, find out what makes you different from the person standing next to you, and really shine it up. You know, oftentimes actors talk about auditioning, and it can be tough and everything but i say all the time you know there's you have a basket of fruit these producers and directors are present we're like fruit to them we're apples oranges bananas kiwis kumquats grapes we're everything right and they're looking for grapes when you're really a kiwi so you can't try to be a grape you got to kind of be the best and juiciest and most vibrant kiwi in that basket and so you really have to focus on that thing about yourself that's unique and special. And the way to find out what that is is if it's easy. If you do something that comes to you naturally where you don't have to work hard at it, that's your thing. You don't A rose doesn't have to work to be a rose. It's just a rose. When you have to work hard, you work hard and continue to develop it. You know, you want to be a vibrant rose. You want to be red and beautiful or yellow, whatever color rose you are, but you don't want to change that. You don't want to try to be a Daisy. You know what I mean? You got to really just be fully who you are and have faith in that and blow it out of the box. I mean, you see all these young actors out there now, they want to be Beyonce. We already have Beyonce. Be somebody else, you know, bring something different. (laughs) Bring bring who you are to it. I love how Simone Biles, the Olympic gymnast, said she, she was interviewed recently, and she was asked, does she feel like she's the next Michael Phelps? And she said, nope, I'm the first Simone Biles.
0: Mm.
1: I love that young woman <laughs> for saying that.
0: That's so right. That's yep. so right on. Mm-hmm. Good for her. May we all be who we are meant to be. Um Lashans, you have done so much already. The show is about dreams. What do we have to look forward uh, to from you in the future? I know you're doing this memoir. When is that going to come out? What else? What do you wish for yourself? What is it more Broadway? Is it film TV? Is it something entirely different? What, what can we expect? Well, what I'm working on right now is, like I was saying, my concert and my tour. And it's in conjunction
1: with my memoir. So I'm going to be doing a tour based on um, music that inspires me so that I can inspire others. And I will occasionally talk about what happened in my life, you know, throughout the concert. And it's basically I'm just creating my one woman show. And that is what I'm taking on the road. That is what I'm developing right now. I also am um, this whole entire summer. I worked on a project for seven weeks about the life of Donna Summer, which is something that may be coming next year to Broadway, um, and it was incredible. Seven-week workshop of that. Um, it was phenomenal. It was wonderful. It was fantastic. Um, so that's something to be looking forward to as far as stage. But um, what I desire to, to really put my energy in right now is my own woman show, and that's what I'm working on.
0: And when will
1: you start to tour? I actually have started. I did a concert in Chicago. I have one coming up in Seattle. Um, and I... I'm reworking it right now, so I'm not going to start with dates where I'm just going to announce it until after February of next year.
0: Okay, okay, so we will eagerly look forward to February. LaShance, I can't thank you enough. Today has been such a pleasure and a gift. Um, We've seen so much from you already and look forward to so, so much more. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. This is Jessica Lips with Lips on Life. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.